This morning I want to finish up, I hope, on our little mini-series on life's choices. And we've been speaking over the past number of weeks about the, the, about the, the thousands of choices we make on a regular basis, on a daily basis, the little tiny insignificant choices that we think are insignificant. But in all reality, they all add up into the big choices of life. And the little choices really are more important in making up our character of who we really are than the big choices. We have a lot less big choices to make. And the little choices that we make every day lead up to those big ones. The, the, the better that I'm able to make good, solid, biblical, small choices, the easier it is for me to make the big, solid, biblical choice when it comes to the ones that are really major in life. And, uh, and I guess I would even begin to say that if we're not making the small choices along the way, I'm not really so sure that we'll, able, we'll be able to make the big choices correctly either. Um, I think that becomes kind of one of the misnomers. Maybe this becomes one of the deceptive strategies of the devil that would say, live your life the way you want to, and then when the important things come, you'll be fine. Just trust me on that. You'll be fine. I think that's a ploy of the enemy. I think that's the way he brings complacency into our lives. I think that's how he has won over so many of the truly on fire people and brought them down to a slow burn if they even have any fire left. It's because we have compromised so many things on the small choices that when it comes time for the big ones, there is no more fire. So there's a warning to, the, to that, isn't there? So it's been a really good study, and I've really learned a lot out of it, and the Lord has really um, blessed me personally. It's really challenged my life and, uh, and my character, and, uh, I, and I hope yours as well. So let's take a minute and let's just pray that the Lord will give us the wisdom and direction as we finish this up. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are so thankful that way you've ministered to us Thank you for touching the Chosen Conference. Thank you for the work that was done on every one of those youth that were there. Thank you, God, for making a difference. Thank you for showing up. And we pray that you would just uh, continue to work in their lives. Thank you for vertical worship last night. Thank you for being here today. We're so thankful. We're so grateful. So now, God, just give us your word now and help us to understand and digest and help us to uh, walk it out, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to try to wrap this up this morning by concentrating on some of the more obvious questions in life that require choices to be made. In fact, I probably will be very basic today, and I probably will, probably will ask more questions than give answers. And the reason for that is because I can't give your answers, but I can give the questions that we all have to kind of deal with. And... Uh, so I want to kind of make this kind of take it out of the corporate setting that we're at right now. And let's just kind of pretend throughout the day here that you and I are sitting down over a cup of coffee down at Johann's. And uh, we're just going to talk a little bit. And we're going to have a dialogue uh, the best we can. Uh, and we just want to talk about life's choices and understand some of the questions that define us. And make sure that we're addressing the questions and make sure that we're going to be personally accountable to these because the reason I can't answer the questions is because I don't know your personality and I'm not required and I'm not responsible 
in these areas to be accountable for you other than what the Lord has asked me to do as a pastor and as a shepherd as a, and as a, a flock tender, and that is just to bring you to green grass, then bring you to good water, and then trust you to eat it and trust you to digest it and trust you to live it out. So individual accountability is very important. Um, we've been speaking in this over really it may be a terminology of eternity. And yes, eternity is very important. We must constantly be thinking of eternity um, because that's where we're going to spend more time than now. <laughs> that's a pretty obvious statement, isn't it? We're going to spend more time being eternal than we are being temporary. <laughs> Amen? Everybody, everybody grasp that concept? That we're going to spend more time being not who we are in our flesh than who we are in our flesh. So that's something that we need to keep in mind. And as we do that, it should encourage us. And at the same time, maybe it should bring us a little bit of fear and hopefully bring us a lot of accountability because I'm going to be measured in all time by what I do in my temporary time. And so it makes this moment in time to be very, very important, to be very, very valuable. Each second that ticks away is very, very valuable because I'm going to have to give an account for that. That makes it very valuable. So we really can't afford to be lackluster or to be complacent about the little bit of time we have left here. That's why the questions, that's why the individual, individual accountability is very important. But yet, even with the eternal consequences, we have to live today, don't we? And we have to live. We can't not live. We have to live. We have to walk out the things that we do. So therefore, it's important that we look at the decisions, the choices, the opportunities that are presented, and that we make good, solid decisions, good, solid choices. And for some of us, maybe it's hard to think eternity Maybe we need to bring it back down into more bite-sized pieces like, what am I going to do today? What am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do next week? What am I going to do in my career? What am I going to do in my marriage? How am I going to raise my children? A lot of these questions that we kind of want to talk about. And, and so many of these questions are morally neutral questions. They're not really right or wrong. So many of the decisions that we make today are not heaven or hell. They're just wise or foolish. They're just good, better, or best. And so I think what I'm trying to encourage us all today is get into the, getting into the practice of thinking my choices, even if they're morally neutral, they're still important. Is it good, is it better, or is it best? What do you want for your life? Think about that. What, what do you want for your life? Do you want to be good, better, or best? Who wants to be good? Who wants to be better? Who wants to be best? All right, good. How do you get to be best? By making the best choices. You can't get best when you make good choices. You just get good. You can't get best if you make better choices. You just get better. You get best when you make best 
choices. So that's what I want to talk about today. And I have a lot to back my um, premises up here. There's a lot of scriptures that we can read, and Proverbs is full of them. Proverbs 3.35, The way the wise live will bring them honor, but the way fools live will bring them shame. Proverbs 8.5, You who are ignorant, learn to be wise. You who are foolish, get some common sense. <laughs> Proverbs 10.1, These are the Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes his father happy. A foolish one makes his mother sad. Proverbs 10.8, The wise accept instruction, but fools argue and bring trouble on themselves. Proverbs 12.15, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 13.20, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 14.6, The wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. And I could go on and on and on. There are so many more scriptures. But I'm hoping that you get the drift here, that foolish people make foolish choices. And wise people make best choices or wise choices. And as we remember that life's biggest choices are really a culmination of our small choices all added up, if I make a bunch of foolish choices, then quite honestly, I'm going to make a foolish big choice. If I make a bunch of wise little choices, probably I'm going to make a wise big choice. So I'm hoping, I'm, I'm trying to appeal to your common sense here today. That's why I said this is kind of basic. I'm trying to just appeal to what, how, we, how we think and how we should think. And the questions that we're going to talk about today, most of them fall into the neutral category of choices when it comes to sin. But yet, even in the neutral choices, there's always good, better, and best. And I would encourage us to apply the element of wisdom here so that we can do that. So let's get started. There, there's, every, there's many facets of life. There's many stages in life that we go through as we grow up. You know, we start off as a baby where we're really just inconsequential to our own decisions. We can't make our own decisions. And we grow up into our, our uh, early years. And we grow into our preteen years and our teenage years and our adult years and our married years and our retirement years. And all these different phases of life have different levels of accomplishment. And that we should be targeting a healthy and a progressionary perspective or progressionary eternal goal to be godly in every one of these phases. Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't it make sense that from the very earliest of years we should be taught by our parents and we should be encouraged by our church people and by our friends to, to make godly choices and the older we get, the more godly our choices become and, and how we just should grow up in that in a progression of wise, small choices. That just makes sense, doesn't it? So let's look at that. Let's, let's pull out that sheet that I gave you. And um, let's just kind of run through some of the phases in life here. This is kind of like, again, we're sitting down at Johann's. We're having a cup of coffee. You might be on your second cup right now. Um, but we're going to kind of talk about the, um, where we go 
Okay, now early life experiences, those ones that are predating junior and senior high, those really are not hard for us to be accountable for those because that's really a, we're a product of our parents. And boy, that brings some fear to parents. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, I, I, I see a lot of small kids as I drive a bus. And they get on the bus and they're not all well taken care of. They don't have shoes that match sometimes. And, and boy, I tell you, some of them smoke like, or smell like they come out of a smoke factory. And I feel so bad for those little kids because some of these are kindergartners and younger. And, and there's such a heavy odor of cigarette smoke on them. And I, excuse me if I offend anyone here, but uh, in my opinion, those parents should be put in jail because they are filling the lungs of those small kids with secondhand smoke that those little kids don't have a choice. If the parent wants to smoke, that's fine, up to them. But that little child has no, uh, has no effect there to control what's going in his lungs. And I get in those little kids get on the bus and my heart breaks for them. That's my soapbox. So let's talk about junior and senior high experiences. What do you want to accomplish in these few years, young people, while you're there? Do you want to be an athlete? If you do, what sport do you have in mind? What kind of academic goals do you have in mind? Where do you see yourself ranking amongst your peers? What other areas are, are important to you? Drama, band, debate, technology clubs, etc. Where are you on the social leadership calendar? Or are, you a, are you one of the political leaders in your group? Do you aspire to be a class president and be a leader? It's awesome if you do. Are you concerned about your reputation, what people think of you? Because, just let me give you a little tidbit, you will live all through your life by that reputation. You will have baggage all through your life. And you come to class reunions, if you were a class clown, if you were the sexual predator, believe me, you'll get la that, that, that always comes up. <laughs> it always comes up in class reunions about what your reputation was. Even though that God forgives, people don't. <laughs> Memories are there. What do you want to do after high school? Do you want to go to college? Do you want to go to trade school? Do you want to get a job? Do you want to get married? Do you want to do nothing? <laughs> Choices, questions, college and trade school considerations. What kind of job or career do you want? Where do you want to go to college? What, do you, what are your educational goals? And then all the other pertinent questions in college that re maybe reflect a high school. And then we get into the dating and eventual marriage considerations. Do you plan on getting married? Do you want to have children? What characteristics and qualities do you want in your spouse? What does your future spouse expect from you? Good questions to be thinking about right now if you're not married yet. Good questions to be thinking about if you're into the dating world or the courting world. Be careful. So much to talk about there. Young married goals and considerations. Okay, now you've picked your choice your spouse. Now what do you want to do? What do you want your married life to be like? What do you want your married life to end like? Can you see yourself as grandparents sitting on the rocking chair with grandkids all running around you? Married to the same spouse after 50, 60, 70 years? You see that? Do you know how to treat your spouse in a godly manner? Husband and wife relationship of love and submission. Do you know how to do that? Are you concerned about that? Do you know how to say you're sorry? And do you know how to say you're forgiven? Do you, see your, do you see children in your marriage? 
What kind of adult relationship do you want with your parents, siblings, and in-laws? Young family with children, how many children do you want? What do you want your child to grow up like? Do you want him to be like you or her to be like you? What kind of values do you want your grown child to have? Do you want them to attend and be active in a church and in their community? Middle-aged parent with growing children, what kind of legacy do you want to leave with your children? Are you being consistent in your child rearing from the oldest to the youngest? In other words, that first child, maybe you were really, really hard on, you were really tough on, you were really holding to the line, but by the time that fourth or fifth one comes along, you just say, hey, anything goes, man. I'm tired. Are you being consistent in your child rearing? It's important. It's important that your children know that you love them all fairly and that love is proven by discipline. Love is proven by consistency. Don't let up on the youngest one thinking that she'll be okay or he'll be okay. You've got to be a parent, even in your older years. It takes work. Believe me, I know. And I'm sure you do too. Are you living a life of example for them to follow when they're your age? Moms and dads, are you modeling what it means to be godly parents in the areas of leadership and submission? Dads, are you being the priest of your home? Do you know what that means to be the priest of your home, dads? Do you know the responsibility that we have by God to be the priest of your home? Do you know that, you're the, you're the, that you are to be the spiritual leader of your home? Wives, do you know what, it, know what it means to submit to your husbands in a spiritual way? I'm not talking about the fleshly way. I'm not talking about the humanistic way. I'm talking about the spiritual nature. And you know, that really, even though it makes it harder, um, and my wife's not here because she's in Big Rapids right now with my daughter Jenna. She's coming home later today. But if she was here, I'd be saying the same thing. Um, even though it's easier when she's not here to say it. <laughs> But in all honesty, do you know that it, even though it says wives submit to your husbands, do you know what it says? It says love, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church, which is harder to do. <laughs> I would say that it's harder to love your wife as Christ loved the church because you know what he did for the church? He died for it. He gave everything up for the church, didn't he? He didn't go halfway there. So husbands... Uh, when he says love your wife as Christ loved the church, what we're supposed to do is die for her. And when I die for her, do you know what it does? It makes it easy for her to submit to me. But if I don't die to her first, but yet I require her to submit, well, that's a fight. That's a fight. Are you modeling proper life perspective in regards to wealth in this life and setting eternal treasure in heaven? Now you're teaching your kids how to tithe. Are you teaching your kids what it means to be faithful to the house of the Lord? Are you teaching your kids what it means to be consistent when it comes to serving the church? I'm not talking about serving the church building. I'm talking about serving the body of Christ. Are you modeling that, parents, moms and dads, or are we just assuming that our kids are going to get it because they go to youth group? The responsibility is at home. Now, grandparent. Are you still there for your children to be a sounding board without being overbearing or enabling them in your choices as a grandparent? Are you praying for your children and grandchildren? Are you regretful for past decisions that left areas of your life short? 
And here's the deal with that. What we, it, we have all done that. I'll tell you right now, I've done it and you've done it. Nobody has not left an area of their life short. Here's what we can do out of that, though. We can model to it for our children and our grandchildren how to make it right. How to say you're sorry. How to go and make something right that you can that's still within your control to do it. And the things that are out of your control, show them what it means to repent. Show them what it means to say, God, I'm sorry. And live it out for them. Show them that how poor choices made earlier in life can still result in a good, godly man and woman. Are you still teachable, grandparent? And is it evident in your life and to your spouse and family? And here, are you leaving them a spiritual heritage and legacy so that in the end, they will call you blessed? A lot of questions there, isn't it? But see, those questions, and and I'm sure you can add to that list. I'm sure we can probably spend a lot more time coming up with that list and embellishing that. But I hope it gets the point across that there are a lot of choices we make that are morally neutral, but they're very important that we're making the right ones, the best ones, not just the good ones, but the best ones. The challenge for us today is, regardless of the stage of life that we're in, are you living for the next one? Are you living preparing for the next one? It's kind of like, how many have has ever played pool before? You know, the pool game? And, uh, you know, when you play pool, if you're a good pool player, you're making the shot thinking about what's the next shot going to be. Where do I want to leave my cue ball so that I'm lined up for my next shot? Important, if you're going to win the game, you have to know that because a good pool player can run the table because he's smart about how he hits the ball or what kind of English he puts on the cue ball because he, he knows that the next shot is just as important as the one he's making right now. And that's what life is about, guys. Whatever phase of life we're in right now, we need to be setting up the next one. And we need to be thinking ahead. We need to be planning ahead for the next phase of life so that we're, we're making the next shot easy. That all comes with making little wise choices. If you're living carelessly now for the moment because it's fun or because it's appealing or because you can, you're not setting yourself up for the next shot, are you? Living carelessly now for the moment because you can or because it's fun will result in consequences, good or bad, probably bad. And do you know that there's a long-term price with careless and frivolous living? Do you know that there's a price for that? And do you know that that price is directly proportional to the extent of the carelessness? If I just totally disregard good common sense, there's a price to pay, guys. I think we all know that, but are you willing to pay it? I think if we go back to these questions this morning and try to understand the significance of the answers and the choices, I think we can basically build it or bring it down to um, some major themes. And the major themes that I, I think here are really about the most important thing that we do. What did, why did God create man and woman together and what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to populate the earth. They were supposed to replicate themselves, duplicate themselves. So the major themes that I see as we make all these dis- decisions and, de- and, and questions as we answer them Here's the question to ask ask yourself. Am I comfortable duplicating my life in the life of those that follow me? 
Am I living my life that I want my kids to live like me? Am I comfortable in my choices? Am I making the best choices? Or am I living my life frivolously and carelessly, thinking that nobody's going to see my little indiscretions and my kids are going to turn out better than I? Our purpose in life, whether we want to admit it or whether we realize it, is to replicate what we are. That's what people do. That's what people see. Our kids are little sponges. If you don't believe that, well, go, go to somebody's house that has a four or five-year-old in it, or even younger, and hear what those little kids say. They say what the parents say. <laughs> That's funny. That's cute. Until you hear the word. Then all of a sudden, did you say that word? Where did Joe, where do you hear that word from? Boy, I tell you, I, I get a kick out of Summer and Tim right now with Joelle and Micah. Joelle is now two, and she's starting to say everything that she hears. And she mimics. And I get to know a lot about what goes on in Summer and Tim's life when I FaceTime. And it's fun. And uh, Summer and Tim kind of have to jump in there every once in a while. No, I'm only kidding. They're doing a really good job. But unfortunately, I don't think people consider and understand maybe the significance of what replicating our life is. How much better would it be if we lived a life consistent and set apart so that we teach our children by our actions, not what we say? How many situations might have been avoided if maybe the parent would have made their wiser choice at the time? Moms and dads, are we really teaching our children to make the better choices in life or are we too comfortable living in the comfortableness of our life? Tough questions, guys. I understand that. But, you know, if I'm not asking these questions, um, I'm not doing my job if I'm not bringing these questions to bear. I'm not saying you're not doing it. Don't, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying you're not. I, I'm just bringing it to bear so that we can reconsider but, you know, Mom and Dad, I think sometimes we make choices in our life that make our kids want to be our friends and not, our parent, and not their parent. Or we're so concerned that we want our kids to be popular in school with the right kids that we allow them to do things that the popular kids do, even though we know in our heart it's not the best thing for our kid. You know what it does? It puts a little stress there, doesn't it? It puts a little strain on the relationship. But I'm proposing here this morning that we educate our children, not just discipline them or let them do what they want, that we educate them. Education here is so important because it's not, it's not just the issue of telling your children yes or no. It's a good parent that educates a child will educate them as to why we say no or why we say yes. When a person understands why, the answer is no, I think you have a much better opportunity of not breeding in rebellion. I think if you just tell the kid no, you're not going to. Why? Well, because I said so. Because I'm the dad, because I can. I think that what you're going to do is that you're going to breed in rebellion. And as soon as that kid can get out of your sight, he's going to do what he wants to do to spite you without knowing why. Do I know why I'm saying that? Because I'm a product of that. I lived, I grew up, I, I know what it's like to be in Charlevoix and then go to Michigan State's campus and live in a dorm of 6,000 kids 
more kids in my dorm than there were in my whole town. And in a town here, everybody knew who I was. I couldn't do anything wrong and get home and not have my dad already know about it before I got home. All of a sudden, I get in a big college campus, and I'm just a big number. I'm about a seven-digit number, whatever. I don't remember what it was. But other than that, I'm in a college campus in a college dorm. And now, because I don't really know why I don't do that, it just feels good to do it. And I did. Again, I'm glad my kids aren't here, and I'm going to erase this off the tape so they never hear it. But in all honesty, we all make mistakes, don't we? Yeah. So educate your, educate your children, parents. And so that we don't get into a legalistic route, because that's where legalism comes from, when we just say no or just do things because we just do it, always done it that way. No, educate, talk, discuss, understand, learn why God says no. He says no, not because he's a mean God. He says no, but I just don't want you to hurt yourself. I just have so many good things in store for you. I just want you to be careful. And when you can say anything or do anything, um, you're just really playing with some things that are maybe going to hurt you later on. And I'm just trying to prevent that from you. So parents, uh, risk not being their friend if you have to. They'll love you more later for it. They'll respect you more for it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Wow, that's a great motto, isn't it? Can you say that? Not, not egotistically, not pridefully, but can you say that you're really doing your best to follow the model of Christ so that others that watch you live, live in your house, that you have influence over, that they can say, wow, he's doing a good job. He's modeling Christ. Can we do that? Can we say that? But yet I know we make mistakes. And I've actually felt that really strong this morning that there are some people here that have made so many mistakes that just maybe are having a hard time with that. And I'm saying it's okay that the Lord understands that. And this is where we rely on the grace of God to cover our mistakes. Not say they're okay, but to remove them from us so that we don't do them again. So I I want to give assurance this morning that God's grace is sufficient for every poor choice. There is nothing that God can't and won't forgive if we come to Him with a truly repentant, spiritually repentant, spiritually saying, I'm sorry, not worldly saying, I'm sorry. The difference is worldly saying, I'm sorry, says, I'm sorry I got caught. Spiritual saying, I'm sorry, means sorry I did it. Two different ways, too many, too many, two different ways to be sorry. Sorry that I got caught means I'll do it again, but next time I'm going to be smarter in how I do it so I don't get caught. Saying I'm sorry that I did it says I won't do it again. I'm really sorry. That's spiritual repentance. And then 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow, isn't that encouraging to hear that kind of a scripture? Amen. You know, Peter failed Jesus. Do you know that Peter failed Jesus? you know who Peter was? Peter, the rock. You know, the, the guy that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on a man like that. That's Peter. But he failed Jesus. He denied him three times. Now, do you think that might have been hard on Peter to, deny, to fail Jesus? Have you failed your wife? Have you failed anybody? 
it's hard, it hurts to fail people, doesn't it? But can you imagine what it felt like for Peter to fail Jesus on the night of his crucifixion? But here's how Jesus responded back. Uh, I get this from James McDonald. He did a little devotional, and I just picked it up this week. It just fit perfectly here, so I know the Lord was speaking to me here. This is what James McDonald says. Referring to the scripture in John 21, verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He said it three times. James McDonald says, instead of agreeing, Jesus gave Peter a job. He said to him, feed my lambs. Peter must have been thinking, what? Jesus, I denied you three times. How can you trust me with anything? Peter was struggling with the obstacle of unworthiness. But Jesus' entire exchange with his disciples speaks his intention. It's all right, Peter. You did blow it. But I'm not done with you yet. Jesus didn't even have to review the past because it was over. He wanted Peter to know he wasn't done with him. Peter had failed and fallen but he was still going to be used. Now that's grace. The undeserved message that comes through loud and clear is, get up, come home, Peter. There's a place for you. You're going to be used. Reconciliation doesn't deny the past. It moves forward in the present. When Jesus shows up, he assures us that purpose in our lives is possible. That's a good word for you today. Receive that hopeful message. It's God speaking to you. He's not done with you yet. It's not too late for you. Even if you've wandered, he can cross the chasm or tear down the wall. Isn't that good? Doesn't that just give you hope in your life that, yeah, I've I've blown it. I've made some mistakes. But the words of Christ are there to say, that's okay. I'll pick you up. Jackie, would would you come as we prepare to conclude? So the first, there's two real purposes of this message. That's the first one. The first one is to assure you that God, through the Son, Jesus Christ, forgives. He loves, he forgives, he's willing to pick you back up and give you a job. (laughs) I think it's so good that we have to have a purpose. It's so good that he just doesn't say, okay, you're forgiven. Now, Peter, he says, get to work. Feed my lambs. Why is that good? Because it gives a level of confidence that Jesus has enough confidence in you to say, I've still got something for you to do. I still trust your character. I still trust you. So come, let's work together. That's why it's so important we too as Christian people know that forgiveness is more than just a one-time act. It is a lifestyle of doing and working the kingdom because God has something for you to do. The second thing, the second purpose of this message is to give a fair warning to the young that poor choices result in poor results and the baggage of the consequences that follow. Therefore, today, determine in your life to the best that you can, young person, or at any age you are, beginning today for tomorrow, that you, will, you don't have to make bad mistakes. You don't have to make bad choices. I know sometimes it's hard to listen to older people when it comes to learning from their mistakes because we have the innate desire within us to say, leave me alone. It's my life. 
Let me live it the way I want to live it. I'll make my own mistakes. But you know, guys, that's foolish. That's foolishness to do that. Even though that's your desire, even though that's your intent, would you understand that godly parents can give godly wisdom that can protect you from so many hurts and from so many things down the road? So can I challenge you this morning to consider that and to consider God's word? Let me, let me read this to you. Proverbs chapter 2. Just listen to this. This is in a couple different translations, so I just kind of picked from a couple translations that fit really well. It says, Proverbs chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Remember my commands. Listen to wisdom and do your best not, not good, not better. Do your best to understand. Ask for good judgment. Cry out for understanding. Look for wisdom like silver. Search for it like hidden treasure. If you do this, you will understand what it means to respect the Lord, and you will come to know God. The Lord is the source of wisdom. Knowledge and understanding come from His mouth. He gives good advice to honest people and shields those who do what is right. He makes sure that people are treated fairly. He watches over his loyal followers. If you listen to him, you will understand what is just and fair and how to do what is right. You will gain wisdom and knowledge will bring you joy. Planning ahead will protect you and understanding will guard you. These will keep you from following the wrong path and will protect you from those who have evil plans, such as people that have left the straight path and now walk in darkness. They enjoy doing evil and are happy with the confusion it brings. Their ways are crooked, they lie, and they cheat. Wise friends will rescue you from the temptress, that smooth-talking seductress, whose faithful to the husband she married years ago never gave a second thought to her promises before God. Her whole life is a life doomed. Every step she takes brings her closer to hell. No one who joins her company ever comes back, ever sets foot on the path to real living. That little section right there is basically talking about sexual temptations and other physical indulgences that would take you down the path of destruction. And then he, he finishes up, Solomon finishes up, Wisdom will help you follow the example of good people and stay on the right path. Honest people will live in the land, and those who do right will remain there. But the wicked will be forced to leave. Those who lie and cheat will be thrown out of the land. That's a really good message for all of us to glean some understanding from. That's a good message to take to heart and go back and read it a few times and, and seek for it. So where are you this morning? Young person, middle-aged person, grandparent? Are you seeking wisdom as, a, as, it's a, as if it's silver? Are you searching for a hidden treasure? Are you seeking the best that God has in your life? Or are you kind of on the other side to say, I'm willing, I'm okay with being complacent. I'm okay with being lackluster. I'm okay with that. It's your choice. It's your choice to make. But understand, there's going to come a day when you're going to have to give an account for it. You see, I wonder if we really, how much we really are chasing after God. 
I wonder how much we really are when I see our inconsistencies of choices. I got to wonder. If I was to if I was to make if I was able to do this. <laughs> I know this is dangerous because I'm going to offend some people right now. But if I offend you, please know my heart. We have we put quite a bit of effort into messages into our Wednesday night Bible studies. We pray about that. What does God want to speak to us about? What, what does God want to lead us in? How do we want to get more educated in some of these areas? And then when we have such a lackluster attendance on a consistent basis, are you getting that information someplace else? And if you are, fine. But do you know that there's reason when you come to church that's just not about you? Do you know that? Do do you know that, and let me get off on another soapbox just for a second here again, but we all like like to be a part of a living organization, don't we? We like to come into an organization that's alive. Let's say now that you invited one of your friends to come to church and you wanted them to come into a living organization that's alive. Wouldn't you really be happy if everybody came to church that day? so that your friend could see that you are part of a living, live organization and it's vibrant and it's growing and it's fun and there's life. See, when you bring your friends in, you want other people to be there for you. But when you're not bringing your friend in, maybe you're thinking, oh, I don't want to go to church today. I don't need to go to church today. I don't want to go Wednesday night. You're saying two things. You're saying, this is, you're saying two things. And this is where I, I'm sorry if I offend you, but I'm going to say it. What you're saying is, I don't need to know what you're telling me. Or I get, I'm getting it somewhere else. Or I don't think you're doing a good enough job telling me. Or whatever that is. And you're also saying that I don't care about my friends enough to think I have to be there for them. Now, let me say this. If I, if I had the ability to say, every time you come into church... I have $1,000 I'm going to give you. Every time you come in Wednesday night, you come in Sunday morning, you come to Sunday school, I'll give you $1,000. I'll bet you right now you'd be there. Because I don't care how much money you have, it's amazing how much you can use more of that. But where is the spiritual hunger? Come on, folks. Where is the spiritual desire to glean as much godly wisdom and godly knowledge as I can? Where is my spiritual desire to satisfy that longing in me and to be there for my friends. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we love you. At least we say we do. So God, I pray that you would bring this message home to our individual hearts in the way, Holy Spirit, that you need to. You need to know, you know what I need. As a pastor, you know how this impacts my life. And for a person sitting here, you know how it impacts their life. So Holy Spirit, would you be the the surgeon here? Would you go in and dissect and 
put the message where it's got to be and plant the seed where it's got to be planted. I pray. Lord, I, I'm not putting condemnation on people. That's not, I've tried that in the past and that doesn't work. I'm not going there. I'm not trying to browbeat anybody here. I'm just trying to raise good, solid questions. I'm just trying to express a need. And God, I just pray that if there was a person offended here this morning, I pray that they would look at it and say, wow, maybe I needed to hear that. Maybe that really was for me this morning. Maybe I need to check my spirit on some things. And maybe I need to get out of my easy chair and start challenging myself with some godly things. So, Father, I pray that as we go to our homes today that this message is not about an altar call today. I'm not trying to bring anybody down here in the front to try to make anybody feel guilty. I just am trying to express the truth. So, Father, I pray that as we go to our homes today that this message would ring true and would remain effective and that, Holy Spirit, you'd bring bits and pieces of it back as necessary or even the parts that I didn't say right. Would you correct it? And bring it into the hearts of the people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.